Time in nature is powerful, especially in our digitally dominated day-to-day life. We have our heads down and our vision is really on a vicarious life. We're living through other people by staring at our phones, by looking at what's online. You see, not only have we forgotten our true nature, but we've lost a natural rhythm of life that brings peace, calmness, contentment, gratitude, and a reduction of that insidious anxiety. Today's guest is a host of a phenomenal podcast about getting outside, spending time in the outdoors, and why it's so beneficial for everyone. Welcome to the Evolve Podcast. Evolve your body, evolve your mind, evolve your soul, and evolve your tribe. And now it's time to disrupt. And with that, folks, we want to welcome you to another episode of the Evolve Podcast, Somewhere Lost in the Mountains of Utah. I am your host, Steve Cutler. And today I'm really fortunate to be joined by Dr. Brian Peterson. Uh, Dr. Peterson is a professor of park management and conservation at Kansas State University. He loves participating and researching, uh, participating in and researching outdoor recreation. He also hosts the All Bodies Outside podcast with a purpose to increase outdoor recreation participation. All Bodies Outside is a celebration of all body types, all minds, all humans, feats of accomplishment are magnificent, but may appear uninspiring, and the nuances of human experience. Beyond being a professor and a podcast host, Brian also co-founded a company called Back or Backyard Back Country. I love that name. <laughs> that delivers glamping setups for uh, so that people can conveniently enjoy the outdoors without really having to rough it. And I was really fortunate recently to have a conversation with Brian on the All Bodies Outside podcast, and this was a conversation that we started to just say, "Hey." I like your podcast. Let's get together and have a couple of conversations. So, Dr. Brian Peterson, welcome to the Evolve Podcast. Hey, Steve. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to having another great conversation with you. And I also just want to say thanks for coming on to my podcast and delivering such great content. Yeah, thank you. I I think I mentioned this in a post I did uh, recently about the podcast. It was that was probably one of my most uh, fun, enjoyable conversations that I've had in in a long time. Uh, I love talking to someone who's a great conversationalist like yourself, and uh, obviously, I love talking about outdoors and and uh, the benefit of nature and getting outside. So. Your um, your podcast is really fascinating, and I think opens up some interesting conversations for a wide variety of people. Uh, before we get into how and why you created the podcast, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Um, how did you evolve into this version of who you are? Yeah, yeah, that's quite a trajectory. And I would say it goes back to when I was an undergraduate student at University of San Diego. Um, and this is in the early 2000s. And um, I was going through as a biology major. And spring of my junior year, I studied abroad in London. And I really gained a high level of independence. Also gained a lot of self-efficacy where I believed in my capabilities to go out and navigate by myself, to travel internationally by myself. And so I had these yeah. intangible benefits that came from that experience. After undergrad, I started working as a high school biology chem, uh, biology teacher and chemistry teacher. And eventually I was kind of 
wanting some more adventure in life. And I believe that because of uh, studying abroad in 2003, that I had the ability to go, okay, let's go do something that's going to make me a little bit uncomfortable and let's see what types of benefits I get from it. And yeah, there's going to be some challenges associated with it. So I had been a high school biology and chemistry teacher for about five and a half, six years. And I decided to quit and go hike the Pacific Crest Trail out awesome. in um, California. Yeah, yeah. Very so I cool. set out on set out on it by myself and kind of took a lone wolf approach to hiking it, where I wanted to have solitude. I wanted to have a sense of um, escape, but I also wanted to check in with different crowds of people along the trail, maybe hang with them for a day or two, camp with them here and there. Um, but I really wanted to focus on myself. And from that experience, it was like, gosh. I really love outdoor recreation. I want to do something in this world. So I got back from the Pacific Crest Shell and um, I didn't end up hiking the whole Pacific Crest Shell. I was out there for three months by myself. I covered 1,400 miles. I started wow. down at the border of California and Mexico um, and uh, walked uh, all the way up to Northern California, uh, covered 1,400 miles. Like I said, never made it out of California, but um, after three months, I felt really content with that adventure. I felt like I had gained the benefits I wanted. Um, and, you know, like I said, um, it really did make me uncomfortable starting off that uh, journey. I remember my parents take me to the trailhead and uh, saying farewell. I remember being very nervous, like, gosh, like I'm going to be out here by myself walking to Canada. Well, after doing the Pacific Crest Trail for three months, I came back and I was like, gosh, I really want to get into outdoor recreation or conservation. And so I took a position with the, I was living in California at the time. I took a position with the uh, state of California with the California Conservation Corps. And I became a, a supervisor of um, a team of Corps members. And we were a chainsaw team. We'd go out to the forest and we'd actually go and um, cut down trees to create a, um, a safety buffer at the urban wildland interface around buildings. So oh, interesting. Removing, okay. Yeah, removing brush around buildings in case a fire does come, there's no fuel around the building to burn. And then right. also that blaze would connect to the building. So I did the California Conservation Corps for uh, two years and I wasn't quite, I was really enjoying it. It was a really fun job, but I did not see me, myself doing it for about the next 30 years until retirement. Yeah, I was going to say, um, that's so a I tough wanted, one to keep going on for, for 20 or 30 years, I'm sure. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, it was a lot of fun, and it's something that I really recommend for younger adults. But yeah, you know, getting into your mid-50s, maybe early 60s even, and doing that, I was like, gosh, like, I don't know if my body would hold up. Yeah. Um, and additionally, I was uh, kind of, I was transitioning out of young adulthood at that time, and I was really gaining a higher sense of my mental capabilities um, these intangible things are going on in my head and really trying to understand them. Um, and I, I gained an interest about um, the social psychology of outdoor recreation. You know, what types of experiences do people want to have when they're outside? Why do people do this? What types of benefits do they seek? And so to answer those questions, I decided to go back to school. And I went to graduate school um, at the University of Utah, and I did my master's there in parks, recreation, and tourism. And I um, did some research on backpackers on the Appalachian Trail for my master's thesis and looked into different um, experiential elements such as um, level of challenge, how they perceive um, their physicality as they transform as they're hiking up the Appalachian Trail and some different aspects like that. My master's um, degree was really, really fascinating. I loved it a lot. And then that transitioned me into getting a PhD at Clemson University in Parks, Recreation, and Tourism Management, a pretty similar type of degree. And 
from there, I then became a professor at Kansas State University, where now I'm teaching this, I'm researching it, and I'm loving it. And from there, then I started the podcast, where I really wanted to get into hearing about the nuances of people's experiences in outdoor recreation. Through my research and my personal experiences, I've seen that people are processing their experiences in the outdoors very differently. They also perceive um, if they feel safe, they also perceive, you know, in a, a lot of varying ways, if they're accepted in these different areas. And so these are things that um, I wasn't quite getting into his research as much, but I was like, oh gosh, like doing a podcast where I can bring in my background with experiences and research and talk to people about these things and hear about these different um, experiences. That is, is the impetus right there to start the podcast. What a, what a cool uh, journey that you went on. And I think that, the, you know, it, all evolutionary journeys start with, we are interested in something, right? You're interested in science. And so you got into uh, studying science, teaching science, but then you said, ah, oh, maybe there's a little bit more. And so you go out and you test it and you take an adventure, you take a journey uh, to go on. I mean, think about that 1400 miles going from Mexico to the top of California. That's no small feat <laughs> to get out there and hike for three months at a time. Um, I've, I've read stories. I've actually never done that, but it's on my bucket list. And I've read stories of how difficult that is, but what a cool journey to go on that. And then little by little, find your way to the point that you're at right now to say, Hey, there might be an issue here that we could help to solve. There might be uh, a processing, there might be an access issue. Um, Talk a little bit about why you created the podcast. Why, and and I guess maybe even in that, just talk a little bit about the name of it, the All Bodies Outside Podcast. So, where did the where did the impetus come from, and and why the name? Yeah, so I would say that the impetus obviously came from all these different things that I just described. But one thing that I did leave out is, yes, I love backpacking. I went and did three months on the Pacific Crest Trail, but going out backpacking, it's very time consumptive. And I yeah. often do not have the time to do that. And so for a place that I try to go trail running on a daily basis, that always doesn't happen, but I really love trail running and also ultra running. I actually was a cross country runner in college and high school, middle school, mm. um, yeah. ran track in elementary school. Um, and that's one conceptualization of running. But when I changed my conceptualization, around being outside, being on trails, kind of making an adventure was something that led me to ultra marathons because there was more of an adventure component to it. And I remember at the last 100 mile ultra marathon that I competed at, which was the Bighorn 100, and it takes place in uh, Northeast Wyoming. And I did it in the summer of 2021. Um, I remember I finished up the race, went back to my hotel with my wife, uh, took a nap for about six hours, Went out afterwards, got a burger, um, got rehydrated, and I went back to the course, and there were still runners finishing. And they there was an mm. overall cutoff of 34 hours. And I remember getting there probably around like the last hour, like hour 33. And I was just telling my wife, I was like, gosh, I had it so easy. I just I finished, I went back and took a nap. I had a long hot shower. I had a great meal. Look at how hardcore these people are in the back of the pack. And I bet their stories aren't being covered. And I mean, I, I finished uh, pretty quick. You know, I had that background with running. I was a collegiate runner um, and I finished uh, around like 21 hours. Wow. Um, so wow. I had been off the course for 12 hours and I came back and I was watching uh, the runners at the back of the pack finish. And I was like, gosh, like 
they deserve the medals. They deserve the all the accolades for being out here for an extra 12 or 13 hours. It's just amazing. And so that right there started getting me thinking about, okay, like these stories aren't being told and they are hardcore stories. Okay. So I had that tidbit right there. That's the other cool, tidbit cool was, yeah. And the other tidbit was from research. And it's exactly what you mentioned earlier is that not everyone is perceiving their access to the outdoors equally. There's a mm. lot of variation in how people perceive their access, whether they belong there, whether they don't. And so that right there, that piece right there, I ended up combining it with the piece of seeing people finish at the back of the pack for ultra marathons. But it was the research part where people aren't always perceiving that they belong in certain spaces in the outdoors. And so that led to the name of the podcast, Old Bodies Outside. And the Old Bodies Outside does have that title is a little bit more physical sounding because it, you know, it's saying old bodies outside, but Right. My podcast is really focused on those perceptions and people's experiences and the nuance of their experiences and hearing how people navigate those experiences. And I have a wide variety of guests on there. And it's it's just I love hearing their stories. I love every guest that's on there. It's so great. And I learned so much from them. It's it's fantastic to talk with people and hear about their different perceptions. I love when it, when someone has a different perception on something. So I'm like, I want to learn from you. I want to understand where your perception came from. Um, and, you know, kind of compared to my internal functionings. And it, it's something that is just so fantastic every episode to kind of share those perceptions and compare them. Yeah, we really expand when we open ourselves up to somebody else's perspective, right? I mean, if we've got a fixed mindset and we just say, this is what it is, uh, then there's no growth in that. So I, I'm with you there. Uh, it, that was actually, Brian, one of the things that uh, drew me to your podcast originally, because you know I grew up and have spent the majority of my life in Utah. I lived a few other places, but even when I lived outside of Utah, you know, I was in Ohio in the Cincinnati area for a little while, and we had access to outdoors. And I got into kayaking while when I was out there because there were no mountains to hike, uh, but there were still rock climbing and. Uh, it was a three hour drive to get to the climbing crag, but you know, we were able to go do some of that. Um, and I lived in South Dakota, uh, for a while as well, but the majority of time that I lived in South Dakota, I was, uh, in rapid city, which is about a 20 minute drive up to any of the hikes or climbs that you want to do. And so for the majority, uh, if not all of my life, I've been, I've had great access to the outdoors. And so it, it's almost one of those things that you just don't know what you have until you have a conversation with someone else who didn't grow up that way. Uh, and so listening to your podcast and hearing about uh, this perception of people's access and do they feel comfortable, do they feel safe in the outdoors? Um, that, that really opened me up significantly. Talk about some of the challenges that people have relative to both access and perception of the outdoor experience. Yeah. You know, one of the things that is struggling for some access issues and kind of just broadly speaking, when you go to, uh, the website of state parks or regional parks or national parks, and a lot of these different agencies are on top of this and they're doing a lot better with it. But for a while you go to their website, everyone looks the same on the website. Mm. Um, and so that's kind of, that, that's sending a signal. It's a social signal, maybe not done intentionally, but it's sending a social signal. These are the people that belong here. This is what it looks yeah. like to belong here. 
And so some people could be like, oh gosh, like I don't see anyone on that website that looks like me. Maybe I don't belong there. Maybe I should go to a different place. Um, And that's something that is, you know, like I said, a lot of agencies are doing a lot better with that, but for quite a while, um, that was something that just was, you know, people didn't register that, didn't know that that signal was being sent out. And so in a way, these agencies are evolving uh, and, you know, they're, they're bringing in all these different perspectives. They're showing greater representation so that people feel welcomed in these spaces. So they get out there, they have, you know, whatever type of level of physical activity they want to have. Maybe they want to go have a soulful moment by themselves where they can go just yeah. close their eyes and be in a place where they feel safe enough to close their eyes and meditate for, you know, five minutes. Um, that's really important. And I think a lot of that does start with, do they perceive that they belong there? Is that access there? That's a great perspective. I, I guess I never thought about that, but I've been on those websites for years checking out, okay, what, what are the camp open times? When can we go hike this trail? When can we go hike that? And everybody looks pretty much the same on those. Uh, and even in the brochures, right? Uh, every every place you go, you can get a, a map and a brochure that says, here are the trails. And the pictures are of the wildlife and of the trail and of the same looking people across the board, right? So if you don't look like those people, then you might not feel like you do, like you belong there. So that, that's a really interesting perspective. What are some of the other challenges that people have relative to access and perception? Yeah, you know, another one that comes up that I think is just really, really fascinating is uh, the variety of athletes that I've had on the show. And so there yeah. are, um, I, I, I a lot of times love to connect with runners because I have that background. I understand yeah. running a lot. And I've also, as I mentioned earlier, tri- approached running with a couple of different, um, more than two conceptualizations of running. Um, and what I mean by that is I started off running in elementary school. And so it's, you know, run on the track, you got to run a certain time and you got to compete. And Mm. then I kind of got into cross country running. So it's a little bit different of a conceptualization. Now we're off the track. We're going through say rolling grassy terrain, but we're still competing. Um, and then I eventually tried on a different conceptualization of let's just go running out in the outdoors you know, I'm going to be out for two to three hours. I'm not going to track how long I go. I'm not going to track what my pace is. Um, and so I've had these different conceptualizations of running. So I oftentimes love talking to runners on my podcast. And one of the things that I, I've found so fascinating is that a lot of people love running. They love the act of it. They feel yeah. very um, in tune with themselves. They get, you know, a lot of good thoughts in, a lot of good self-reflection. But sometimes there's people that, don't feel like they belong in a race. And so the race might say, Hey, it's, we're going to put on a marathon and everyone needs to finish within five hours. And oftentimes that is the product of permitting and whatnot. Um, and you know, it, it, it takes money to shut down the streets for a while, but there are people that are absolutely runners and they want to be out there. You know, it's going to take them for six hours to get it done. And so they look at those cutoff times and they're like, gosh, like what would happen if, I'm still out there. Am I just going to be left by myself at mile 20 with no water, no food? I can't get back to my car. Um, And so hearing those stories about people that just really love running, they love what they, what it does for them, but they're not the fastest one out there. And they're totally comfortable with that. They're comfortable with their pace. They're comfortable with how their body handles, say running a marathon, but they don't always feel like they're included in a race because the cutoff times don't match what their pace, their finishing time would be. And so they might pass on that race 
um, just because they don't want to be left out in the middle of nowhere by themselves. Yeah, that's pretty fascinating. I can I can certainly relate to that. A couple of things I want to unpack with you on that. Um, you know, the first one is when you talk about these cutoff times. So a few years back, I decided that uh, I had an opportunity. I just was approached by somebody that said, hey, do you want to do the uh, Ragnar Wasatch back uh, race? And I'd heard about it. I didn't know much about it, but it was it's essentially a relay race that goes uh, along the backside of the Wasatch Mountains in Utah. Um, you essentially start and you go, I think we started on a Friday and we finished late in the day on Saturday. Um, and I'm sure there were people that were way faster than my, my group or my team was, but it's a relay race and you've got two vans and in those two vans, you got, uh, six or seven people that just do this relay. Right. Well, uh, we did, we each did in my van, our first leg. And I don't know if I just ate something or I think my, one of my kids was sick, like a couple of days before had stomach flu or something. So I may have just picked up what they had. So after my first race, we had, we came to our point or my first leg, we came to a point where we had our first downtime and the next van was going to take on their leg. Well, whatever it was, it hit me hard and I was throwing up for probably a good hour straight and completely dehydrated. I mean, I felt horrible. Well, the people in my van were very, very kind, very compassionate. They they said, look, if you don't want to do your next leg, we'll take it. And I actually had the longest leg um, of the race that was one of mine. And I said, look, I would love to do it if you guys are okay with me going really slow, they said, yep, you do it. If you want to do it, that's fine. And one of the cool things about this race is, and I don't know if it's just because it's so long that they don't, they didn't put a cutoff time, but there really was no cutoff time. But I also had the support of my team to say, go for it. And they kind of broke the rules uh, because they would come and check on me. This was like in the middle of the night, you know, at 1 AM, 2 AM, I'm out there running this uh, nine mile leg and uh, completely dehydrated. And they're like, Hey, you okay? You doing all right? Like, yeah, I'm good. All right. Keep going. So that access and that not having that time cut off gave me this amazing experience. I still think about it to this day. I still, my wife and I still have the conversation about that. uh, I called her up at one in the morning and she talked me through the, the rest of that that leg of my race when I was dehydrated, feeling horrible, felt like my whole body was going to shut down. And it just was this beautiful experience. And so I can certainly resonate with this idea that if there are parameters put on something uh, relative to people getting out and experiencing some sort of outdoor activity, they're going to miss out on a lot of, uh, a lot of great things. And so there's gotta be some way to feather in disability for people to get out and experience. Um, the other thing I want to, I, well, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. Well, I think that one thing I thought was really cool that you had that support, um, you know, yeah. people out there supporting you and there's, there, there are episodes on my podcast where some of my guests talk about how they, they go after these endeavors and they're not supported and they mm. keep going and it's amazing. And they keep going um, and the stories just build so much compassion with me. Um, you know, I may not have lived those experiences, but I have uh, shared these really deep and engaging and vulnerable conversations with my guests 
on the podcast and my self-compassion, my compassion for them, it, it just heightens and heightens and heightens. And it's, it's, you know, going back to, you know, hearing one of the things that I really love in life is, is hearing other people's perspectives and yeah. learning from their perspectives yeah. and trying to incorporate that into my processing and evaluation of maybe, you know, different instances throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout the month, throughout the year. Um, but hearing those stories, a lot of compassion is built. And I hope that that's something that my listeners are able to, you know, have a heightened sense of compassion through hearing those stories um, because those stories certainly exist. And, you know, going back to watching the people finish, you know, hour 33, hour 34, 100 mile ultra marathon, um, their experience, what they've gone through and done. It, it's just amazing to hear about amazing to see. And it, it helps me really grow as an individual too. Yeah, it really does, doesn't it? It's it's compassion. You develop this empathy. I think you you uh, hit the nail on the head. You develop a self compassion as well because you're starting to hear the challenge and the pain that somebody else goes through, and and that puts your own challenges into a certain perspective. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Brian, you said something else that really resonated with me. I want to come back to, um, you talked about this conceptual change, uh, right? You had a different conceptualization of running. Um, I recently had an opportunity to have just a couple of days, uh, of free time essentially in uh, Zion national park. My family had come down, we'd spent some time together in Southern Utah and then, uh, they had to come back home for work and school. And, and I had a lecture that I was giving in, in Zion or excuse me, in St. George a couple of days later. So I, I got two full days in the park and I thought, what do I want to do? And so I just went out and ran. And when I was a kid, much like you, even though I wasn't a cross country runner, I was a sprinter, but I was a racer. I loved to race. I loved to compete. And so running was that. Over time, the, con the concept of running changed for me. I started to run for exercise. And then I realized that I hated going out on the street and running. I hated the smell of the cars that would come by. I hated the pounding on the pavement. It just drove me crazy. And one day, as I was out hiking with my kids, and I started to see them run and bounce around, I got an idea. And I took the, um, the little GoPro that we had at the time and put on the little head thing, stuck it on my, uh, my son, who's, you know, tiny little kid at the time, had him run around, put it on my, uh, second daughter, my oldest daughter, and then watched the video afterwards. And there was something that clicked when I watched from their perspective, what hiking and running meant, they didn't have to say anything. I just saw it from their eyes. And all of a sudden I thought, that's what we talk about. When we talk about childlike wonder and what running could be in nature, that freedom. And, and it was different for everybody. You know, my, uh, my oldest, the way that she ran and she, you could see she was looking this way and looking that way and observing everything because she's very observant. Uh, my second daughter just kind of flailing all over the place and just being wild and free like she is. And then my son, typical boy, Every once in a while, he'd be running along and then he'd stop and he'd pick up a rock and throw it because that's what you do as a little boy, right? Something shifted inside of me and that opened up a new concept. And this concept is just getting out and running for fun. So when I was running in Zion recently, I'm running up the trails and I, I didn't realize that this lady was talking to me as I ran by. Uh, I just it registered further down the trail uh, that she was actually talking to me, but I ran by and I hear this are you, are you doing some sort of competition? 
And again, it didn't register until later on. And so I feel bad that I didn't stop and respond, but it hit me and I thought, oh, most people don't even understand what I'm doing. I'm not doing this to compete. I'm not doing it to show off. I'm not doing it to do anything other than just to run and be free and have that feeling of freedom. Because when you run in nature, you can feel free. And that change, that shift of paradigm, that, that reconceptualization is amazing. How do people do that? How do yeah, people change yeah. the paradigm? Steve, I think that your story of giving the GoPro to your kids, uh, a word went through my head and it, it's play. They were out yeah. there playing. Yeah. yeah. And so how do we carry that over as adults? Like it's, it's a lot easier to play for some reason when we're kids. How do we play when we're adults? And I think as adults, we live in a society which um, we, we end up comparing ourselves a lot with people and, you know, we mm. live in a competitive society and yep. that's the nature of society. But, you know, Great I think point. that running is conceptualized for younger as a competitive sport, or you do it for disciplinary sake. So to say you, you messed up on the yeah. football field, your football coach is going to say, Hey, go run some laps, go run the laps. And yeah. that's, you know, you're the football coach is just making sure you're in shape, but also making a point that you messed up on the player, whatever it is. Yeah. But yeah. then you might start negatively forming a conceptualization about running because it's a disciplinary measure. It's not play. And I think as an adult running absolutely can be play. And so I actually had a point in my life where I gave up running for about five years. And it was that kind of breaking point where I went from focusing, conceptualizing it as a competitive thing and eventually evolving it into this is play. And this yeah. is what I do to go out and get exercise. Like I want to be physically healthy, but I'm also out there to be silly. I'm out there to explore. I'm out there to be curious. All those things are involved with play. So the difference between the two was this was doing college cross country and you got, you have very set hardcore workouts. You're doing it with your team. You're competing with all your teammates. And that's the way it is because with the college cross country race, only seven people can start. And then only the top five out of the, the seven runners that start get um, scored. Everything is down to the second. You're checking your pace. You're checking your heart rate. I mean, we'd be, we'd have GPSs on our um, watches, GPS watches. We'd also be wearing heart rate monitors. Um, and we're just tracking all types of quantitative data about ourselves. It was really interesting. And I think that I see with a lot of new runners, they're very interested to learn more about themselves. And I think that's fantastic. For me, I eventually ended up getting sick of that um, because I felt like I had to live up to, I got to be at this pace. I got to get my heart rate this high. And eventually I was like, okay, let's take some time off running. Like I'm not having fun with it. I'm not having yeah. fun with it. And so I took five years off. I came back to running and I needed to reconceptualize it because I, and I want to be fun. And so the way that I approach running now is oftentimes I'll say, okay, I got an hour in my day. I'm going to go running for an hour. And I just say, Hey, I'm running for an hour. I don't, I don't have, I wear a watch from Walmart. Um, and I just time myself nice. for an hour. I have no idea what my pace is. I have no idea what my heart rate is. I have no idea how far I went. Whatever my legs do for that day is what my legs do for that day. Um, and if I want to stop and observe something like your daughter and be curious, that's part of play. That's absolutely part of play. I'm having yeah. fun. And so like those, those things are absolutely involved with running. And so that was a big evolution in the way I conceptualize running. That's beautiful. And what a great way to look at it. it. It's so funny because we, 
you know, we're, we're just dominated by this digital deluge. We've got so many images. We're on our phones. We're all over the place, uh, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, with uh, the things that just pull at our attention all the time. And so we want to make something that's very simple, like getting out running for play, for fun, way too complicated. And the reality is, if people just got out and did what you did, you know, go to Walmart, buy the uh, door of the Explorer watch so that you know what time it is, right? Um, and then go run. You're going to get the health benefits of it. You're going to get the spiritual benefits of being in nature. You're going to get the mental benefits of taking a break. And and you're going to get this observational benefit uh, of, of really just getting time in nature by yourself without all of the external stimuli of of the uh, digitized society that we live in. And I think what you're gaining there overall is perspective. And I know perspective is a really important focus for you in your life. How has, um, talk a little bit more about perspective and how that's affecting you right now. Yeah, I, I think perspective is something that is, um, can be looked at on a variety of scales down to the micro out to the macro. So, you know, what's my perspective on this very small little tidbit of life or what's my perspective on my happiness over the past 10 years. Um, and I think that your perspective is absolutely informed by how we interpret and we evaluate. And so, for example, the other day I was talking about work with my wife my wife was like, you know, Brian, every single time you talk about work, you get negative with it. And I was like, whoa, I didn't, know, <laughs> I didn't know that. And she's like, are you like, that's gotta be affecting your happiness with your day-to-day -day function. She's like, I know you love your job. I know you like it, but it's busy right now. And you're talking very negatively about it. Like you need to also incorporate all the positive, great things that you, that goes on with your job. So I'm a professor. I get to interact with these awesome students from undergraduates to PhD students, including master's students. I get to um, interact with officials from National Park Service, United States Forest Service. Um, and there's so many cool pieces with that. I think perspective is so powerful. I wanted to bring the perspective element back to running um, because we've been talking about running a bunch. And one of the things that I want to talk about with perspective and running is when we can get out as a runner and then view it as play, it's a lot easier to say, I'm a runner. Some people, yeah, people often feel like, well, I'm not a runner unless I do the 10 K fast enough, or I do the 5 K fast enough, or I run yeah. a marathon. No, if you get outside and you go play and you run 20 feet, you're a runner. And the reason I say that that is so powerful is when you start giving yourself that perspective, I am a runner. I went out and ran 20 feet. I had fun. Then it starts being like, Whoa, I'm a runner. And then that 20 feet becomes 40 feet and then 60 feet and then yeah. two miles. And it starts building and building because now you have some confidence with your identity within running, within play. And so I think that that perspective of maybe having some self-compassion of like, I don't need to be the best out there. I don't need to go out there and fulfill these requirements that are just, you know, socially constructed. They're just social constructions. I want to just go out and play. I want to go have fun. I'm just going to run, you know, 20 feet. And you know what? I'm a runner. And I think that that perspective is then allows people to build and go further and further. And I think that um, having some self-compassion in your perspective is really important. I think also going back to me as a professor and talking about my job, uh, you know, here and there negatively, which I think that that's something that 
is a trap that we all probably fall into with jobs and whatnot. Jobs go up and down. Um, And with my perspective, personally, one thing that I I really focus a lot on is gratitude for stuff. Mm. Um, And not forgetting that I'm on this planet once it's a journey and I want to have fun with it. I want to look back when I'm on my deathbed and be like, gosh, that was so much fun. I got to learn from people. I got to engage with people. And so I think perspective, um, one of the most important things in life is perspective. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit more about gratitude. We, we've talked about gratitude quite a bit on the Evolve podcast as a powerful tool to continue to evolve. Um, you know, one of the things, I was actually coaching a uh, consulting client uh, yesterday about this, that uh Life is challenging enough, as you were just referenced. We're going to have good days. We're going to have bad days. We're going to have good weeks, bad weeks, right, in terms of our overall challenge that we have in life. Life is tough enough that if we really focus on the things that we're grateful for, if we focus on our strengths, the challenges still are there, and that's okay. We can overcome them, but as soon as we focus on those, then we magnify those, that becomes even more difficult. Uh we found that you know gratitude and focusing on gratitude helps us to understand a different perspective. What is it that you're doing to process and to develop and foster gratitude in your life? You know, Steve, I would say I'm searching for that. I would mm. say I'm searching for that. And, you know, I am in the process of trying to develop some sort of mental toolbox, whether it's a mantra or gratitude journaling, which I've tried gratitude journaling. I didn't really think it was overly effective past about two weeks because I kind of got into a routine and it didn't seem like it had much variation. Yeah. Um, but I, I do try to do some, some mental mantras um, and remind myself to be grateful in each moment, especially when I'm kind of feeling a tug in my stomach of some tension or some stress. Yeah. I would say I, I'm, I'm currently on a journey to work mentally on being more grateful. And so that's something that I would say it's a forming toolbox. I'm testing different stuff out. Some things work, some things don't, but I, I really believe in gratitude as being something that's, that's really, really important towards just longevity of happiness, seeing life is fun, seeing life is silly. Um, and so like, I'm, I'm, I'm always kind of searching for that. I would say I'm not perfect with being able to, to find gratitude each moment or even remembering to, be grateful for each moment. But I think that awareness uh, brings up a lot of um, opportunity and it really opens up the doors of possibility. So I love the, I love the honesty when you say, Hey, this is something that I'm searching for. Um, Obviously it's something that's very present in your life. It's something that you're open and aware to. And I think that awareness and observation are probably the most important things to have, right? Because developing a habit of gratitude might take several different uh, ways. Like you, I started gratitude journals, I don't know how many times, and I've tried doing it multiple ways and they worked okay. But then there were times where it just became like this rote practice that I was going through and I didn't really feel very grateful. And so I've tried a lot of different methods over the years and uh, finally found a couple of things that work pretty well for me that um, I do right now. Now, will those work five years from now? I don't know. I, I just know what's uh, what's functioning right now. But I think that you, as you develop the practice and the habit of gratitude, especially in a busy lifestyle like we have, uh, there's a lot of power that can be built from that. 
you uh, you referenced earlier that one of the things that has helped you foster that gratitude, that compassion, that empathy has been hearing the stories of the people that are on your podcast. Uh, one of the things I'd be curious to hear because uh, you've had you've had several conversations. Uh, what are you, you're up to? How many episodes at this point that you've dropped? I believe I dropped my 43rd episode this morning, but let's just say I'm in the low forties for sure. Yeah. So you think about that. I mean, 40 different conversations, that's no small feat, right? These are 40 different conversations, 40 different uh, times to hear a story, to have a conversation with somebody. Um, I'm sure you're seeing and hearing some themes that people are having relative to the uh, internal mental, emotional, spiritual struggles that people are having when it comes to getting outside. Talk a little bit about what some of those internal struggles are that people have uh, with getting out in nature. I think some of those internal struggles are um, the way that there's the self-perception of, you know, whether they belong or not. I think that, you know, going back to an explanation you gave earlier, um, that there is a lot of social signaling out there. Like we have um, access to social media. We have access to so much social stuff and it's, it's constant signals of how you should be and whatnot. And so that can lead to critical self-talk. Yeah. And sometimes that critical self-talk talk can be negative. And I'm certainly have negative self-talk that's critical about myself and whatnot. And um, I think that that's something that's probably pretty regular, but I'm also a very normative white male. I think that that's the critical self-talk can get amplified even more if you're not a normative looking person, normative yeah. person in a lot of different ways like I am. And so there's there's this intersection, this multifaceted intersection where things really can get stacked upon and there's a compounding effect um, of all these different dimensions of your identity that might be um, marginalized out in society. And so then like that critical self-talk can get amplified, amplified, amplified. And I'd say that's one of the biggest trends that I see in my podcast. And um, it's, it's it, the podcast is such an extremely lovely and sweet interaction, hearing these stories mm-hmm. and hearing vulnerability. And I think that vulnerability is quite a glue quite a glue you know having the ability to be vulnerable which that's hard in itself that's hard in itself um you know it's not easy to say hey you know what i don't have gratitude figured out it's it's not easy to say that especially in a public forum but a lot of my guests bring a level of vulnerability that i am extremely grateful for because that vulnerability allows us to connect and have a really good quality conversation that is productive and useful for the listeners out there and listeners are like, Hey, like that's, that's how I feel too. And that's really cool to hear like what type of mental toolbox this person used or mental tricks this person used to overcome that. And so I think that, um, that's, it's, it's something that I just really love a lot hearing people be having the ability to be vulnerable. Yeah. That I think that's uh, critical because when, when we're open like that, we can we open ourselves up for compassion from other people. We open ourselves up for empathy from other people. Uh, there's a relatability to it, right? People can look at us and say, "Oh yeah, I feel the same way," or "I felt the same way," 
Um, and I think that, that that's critical. Talk a little bit more about the negative self-talk. I know that this is a, a major focus uh, for you of saying, okay, how do we manage this overall negative self-talk, not just in our personal lives, but, you know, as a, uh, in our tribes, with our friends, with our family, like what, what, what are you finding that's working? Yeah. Yeah. So I'd say, you know, one of my main tribes, as I mentioned earlier is runners. And as you were asking that question, Stephen, I know you, you were, you're asking about what I'm finding on my podcast and hearing from, um, my guests. I also want to just share a quick story about myself with negative self-talk. And I, I was, as you were asking that question, I was remembering back to being a collegiate division one cross country runner, um, as an undergraduate student. And I remember during these races, there's a level of, uh, you need to compete, you need to perform, you need to maintain your scholarship. Um, and running is, um, there's a, there's a huge mental facet to running. And in college, like if I was having a good race, man, I would be using uh, all the extreme colorful language to talk to myself. I mean, like really, you know, it's just using, uh, you know, cursing at myself, like, and it was always negative self-cursing to myself, like, to, yeah. you know, hey, yeah. hey, Brian, you blah, 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 run faster. And uh, man, like that's, that's, uh, that adds pressure to the situation is what I found. Yeah. is that negative self-talk actually started building more and more pressure. And the more and more pressure that I felt, the worse I actually competed. So mm-hmm. it, it had the, the uh, as I increased negative self-talk, my performance actually decreased. So there's this indirect relationship that I found yeah. with myself. Interesting. Um, and so to this day, um, when people go out and do races, um, I, I don't wish them like, hey, I hope you have a good race. Um, I say, Hey, go have fun, uh, go out there and have fun. Enjoy yourself. Don't worry about what's going on. Don't worry what, about what other runners are doing. I, I recently just had this uh, conversation with my um, seventh grade stepdaughter who is getting involved with track. She's doing the 200 and the 400 and the 400 um, being in seventh grade. It was a very daunting race for her. She'd never done that distance of a race. And yeah. uh, she's really, really concerned about, you know, how she would compete, how she compared to other people. And I was like, Hey, don't worry about, comparing yourself to other people. The point of doing track is to go have fun. So just go out there and have fun. Uh, you know, be, be wise with how you run the race. The 400 meters is a long race. Um, and I call it a long race because it's essentially a sprint for one lap and it's a long sprint. It takes a long time. It's a really hard race. And so, um, you know, I'll say, Hey, have fun, make sure you run, uh, you know, run smartly. Don't, you know, go out in the first half overly fast so that you're just, you know, you're dying at the end. Um, but you know, I talked about to her about having fun and whatnot. Um, you mind repeating what the exact question was? I want to tie it back to my guest. Now that I gave my, my personal experience, it was negative self-talk, right? Yeah. Just some things that you're finding to manage negative self-talk before we go further on that. I want to pause for on what you're talking about, because this idea of having fun, I think sometimes when people hear that, if they hear a coach or a mentor or somebody say, Hey, go have fun it gets brushed off as if it's like, yeah, whatever, you know, it's True. not about who, you know, <laughs> how you uh, win or lose, whatever, tell you play the game. Yeah, whatever. That's nice. But the reality is psychology has proven that uh, with your experience uh, as a great example of it, that when we have poor talk 
to ourselves when we are extremely negative, that performance goes down significantly because the brain will achieve whatever it creates. And so if we create positivity, if we create fun, the the brain will go towards that direction, right? We're already creating that on a very small level. And what a lot of research has shown is that when we visualize something and we create this in our mind, we are literally getting these neurological reactions through our muscles where our muscles are firing in a certain way, even if it's just at a very low amperage, uh, that gets us moving in the direction of that negative talk, right? The, the, the posture goes poor. The, um, we, we visualize ourselves doing bad and we end up doing bad because that's what we're training ourselves. Even at this low level, we're training ourselves to do that. But when we visualize this idea of having fun, when we visualize and we, we go out there with the intent to compete for fun, now all of a sudden we're buoyant. We're, we have energy. We can move forward in a very positive way. So I think that you really bring up a very astute observation that uh, science has shown and researchers have shown over and over and over again. And look no further than some of the top athletes in the world. Look at what their uh, self-talk was. Look at how they visualized and created the, what they wanted to. Um, they went towards what they saw and what they saw was success. Were there other tactics or are there other uh, tools things in the tool bag that you're hearing or that you have experienced that uh, help to facilitate this uh, positive self-talk? I I think coming back to um, not overly comparing yourself with others, I think like to a degree Mm. seeing where, you know, where things lie in the landscape is, is okay. But when you're like, Hey, that person did that. So I have to do that or I have to do it faster. Great point. That self-comparison, um, really takes away who you are as an individual. Like, I think you should let yourself thrive as an individual um, and, you know, go out, going back to the fun, going out and have fun to who you are. So let's, let's look at this through the lens of giving a presentation, okay. Given a public presentation, let's say in front of a crowd of 50 to hundred people, you just recently did that. I do it regularly for my job. Yeah. In fact, this afternoon, I'm giving a presentation to the national park service about my research. Going into nice. that that presentation, I got to be having fun. I will by getting myself mentally ready to have fun. I actually have more flexibility and ability to think on my toes during that presentation. And during given a public presentation, there's all kinds of micro calculations that are going on in my head. I'm trying to see if the audience is understanding what I'm delivering. Are they yep. gaining that knowledge? Are they picking up that information? What are their facial expressions look like? I'm, I'm calculating all of that. And if I come in and I'm, um, you know, not looking to have fun, I'm looking, I'm giving myself pressure because I'm like, Hey, this person knocked out of the park with their presentation. I got to be just like them. Um, well, I'm trying to form to something that's not me. And I end up losing the flexibility of being able to think on my toes, being able to do those micro calculations. Um, and so I think that self-comparison, there is a threshold where it can become negative on who you are as a unique individual. And so I think that navigating self navigating comparisons to other people is a navigation. It's a navigation. Couldn't agree more. It's so, it's one of the ways that we rob ourselves of our ability to perform in our most unique way. I had a conversation with a client yesterday who has lost 10 pounds in the 
don't know, three, four weeks that we've been working together. And she says to me, well, yeah, but I was talking to somebody the other day that in the same time period, he's lost 20. I said, so? What, I, I, don't, don't you feel great losing 10 pounds? Well, I did until I knew that he lost 20. Like, all right. It goes back to that, com- that uh, comment. I can't remember who said it. The comparison is the thief of joy, right? When we compare, we're stealing from our own expression in life, our own ability to express ourselves in the most authentic way that we can. We can't compare, right? I mean, not honestly, because you can't compare an apple to an orange, a banana to a mango. Yes, they're all fruits, but they're all different. They taste different. They shape different. They have different nutrients. They have different flavor profiles. Everything's different about them. And human beings are the same way. We can't truly compare in, uh, to another person. If you're better tomorrow, if you're better next week, if you're better next year than you were the previous day, week, or year, well, that's probably the best comparison, right? So couldn't agree with you more. Uh, the other thing that I'd like to touch on is this idea of comparison relative to anxiety and depression. Uh, we do this way too much right? And it creates this anxious feeling where we feel like we have to perform to a certain level because somebody else did, or we feel depressed because maybe our comparison of where we're at compared to another person is not at that same level. And so we're sad and depressed. Can you talk a little bit about how you've heard or you've seen that as people start to compare less, what that's doing to their anxiety and depression? Yeah, great question, Steve. Um, I, I I really do think that that comparison aspect is something that's caught up with. We I think it's the way that it's caught up at a, a very young age of how we teach self esteem, and I, I think self esteem is kind of an interesting thing because that's usually how people compare themselves against other kids. Let's say, yeah, um, and I hear yeah. my stepson do that a lot. And he's a fifth grader. He's, he's learned life, you know, and he's just going out and trying and testing everything. He's in a fantastic stage of life, fantastic mm-hmm. stage. Um, and he'll go out and try something new. He'll be like, Hey, I've never played soccer. I'm going to go play soccer at recess. Hey, this is how I did compared to the other kids. And there's a very natural, almost intuitive aspect to that. Like he's not, he's just kind of being reactive and almost like a primal fifth grader. Yeah. Um, but I think that we often are teaching about Hey, how do we compare to others to boost our self-esteem versus teaching about managing that comparison and uh, developing emotional IQ? Mm, um, and yeah. I think the emotional IQ is the healthy management of our emotions. Hey, look, someone else is better than me at that. Or, hey, look, someone else performed better than me at that. Well, guess what? That's probably going to be the case in just about everything in life. Yeah, um, for sure. You know, that's just how it goes. <laughs> just how it goes. Um, but I think that self-esteem is, it's an interesting thing. It's an interesting thing. I I'd rather focus on the management of my emotions, being able to identify them, being able to evaluate them, um, being able to, sorry, identify them, reflect on them, and then evaluate them. Um, are they pointing me in a good direction? Why am I having that emotion? Why am I feeling like that? Um, and taking the time to slow down and really understand what's going on with me. But um, I think that stuff is, it's, it's emotional management is something that is really important for also for, um, you know, your happiness in life and being able to 
um, go after endeavors that maybe you never saw yourself going after. And that's something that yeah. I yeah. really love a lot in life is hearing. Um, and that's something that comes a lot in my podcast is hearing stories of people going after stuff that they just never had thought they would go after. Um, and so I had, I interviewed a lady from Australia who she was a mom. I don't know how many kids she had, two or three. She had been focusing on motherhood. She'd been focusing on her career. And I think at work one day, she had to write a bio about what her life is like outside of work. And she's like, kids. And she's like, oh my gosh, I have nothing else to me. Like, I, I'm, I'm a mother. It's fantastic. I love my kids. Yeah. And she's like, I have nothing, nothing about me. And so she ended up just jumping right into doing um, some sort of adventure race with no background of running, no background in adventuring. Um, and I, that episode, and this is, that's a recurring theme that has come up several times in my podcast is people going after endeavors that make them feel really uncomfortable. And so what gives them the ability to do that? And there's something with, you know, belief in your capabilities, no matter what, some self-efficacy, but probably not overly comparing yourself to others. You're going to go try something brand new. Yeah. You're not going to do that great at it, but are you going to have fun? Heck yeah. And I think that there is something that's really important in life when you're feeling that level of discomfort internally about doing something, maybe not always, but maybe it might be a good idea to go after that and do it because the growth that is going to happen from doing something that makes them comfortable, the growth is going to be way bigger than if you only do stuff that you know you're good at. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, that, that comparison, especially at the beginning, is just not a fair comparison. When you start something new, of course, you're not be, going to be very good. And even when you're the best in the world, eventually you get compared, right? I mean, I think about the, uh, the debate, you look at uh, Michael Jordan and how everybody's comparing to Michael Jordan, right? So uh, is LeBron James the best in the world? Was Kobe Bryant or, you know, did everybody, does everybody still believe that Michael Jordan was the greatest of all time? And, you know, 10 years from now, who's it going to be that they're comparing against, right? At some point, even if you're the best in the world at one thing, somebody is going to outpace you, right? So it's just such a horrible way to, uh, to gauge our life. Um, so I think that, 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 that's just so critical. Brian, talk a little bit about, um, I, I think from your podcast, you not only hear these amazing stories and you hear about people disrupting their life and leaning into the difficulty, uh, which I think is phenomenal, right? We, we all have values in life. And unfortunately, one of the most shared values that we have in America is that we have this shared value for comfort. We want to go towards comfort at all costs. Uh, stay at home and make food or go through the drive-thru. What's well, more comfortable to go through the drive-thru, right? Uh, go do something that's difficult, like uh, go for a run or sit on the couch and just click through the channels and what and be mine. Well, it's more comfortable. But if we change our values and we say, no, I actually value discomfort. I value disruption in life because that's the thing that makes me a better person. Now, you've heard a lot of these stories, and I'm really curious Based on the stories and based on your own experience, what if you were to you know give a bullet point list of what are the benefits of getting out in nature on a regular basis? What would they be? I would say um, having some self pride, and I like so. I think oh, I'm taking this from the standpoint. I'm taking this from the standpoint of getting away from the simple pleasures in life. And yeah. gosh, like that's okay. we live in a society of simple pleasures, right? 
it's very easy for me to turn my mind off and flip through Instagram and just tune out the world. Simple yeah. pleasures right there. Yeah. It's very easy for me to go get a cheap meal to drive through versus taking two hours to cook a phenomenal meal at home. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, simple pleasures, simple comforts, conveniences. So if I live in a society in which I want those things um, and getting out and going outdoors where maybe I may not be comfortable, I might be discomfort or I might be uncomfortable. Um, the fact that I got out and did something that was different from doing simple pleasures gives me some self pride and it feels good. It gives me some satisfaction. Um, it was, it's different from my rhythms, different from those simple pleasures. And I think simple pleasures have a place. They do have a place. I just don't think that they should be 12 hours a day. Type of yeah. yeah. Um, like I think there's, <laughs> I think there's, there, there's times where it's like, Hey, like, you know, I am waking up in the morning. I'm not ready to talk to anyone yet. I want to sip my coffee and maybe I might just like scroll through whatever website I enjoy or whatever social media I enjoy. But you know what? I'm going to keep, I'm going to cap that 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I'm going to start getting, you know, my running shoes on my feet, get my workout shoes on my feet and start making my way towards the door, getting outside. And every time that I go out and do something that is uncomfortable, get away from those simple pleasures, I have a way higher sense of satisfaction versus the satisfaction that's brought from simple pleasures. And so I think that recognizing that, and that is all within the growth mindset, which I've, a growth mindset is talked a lot about. And I think sometimes it's, it's um, a bit grandiose. Like, I think like, it's like, Oh, gotta have this growth mindset. But I think recognizing that there's bigger satisfaction and those things that are going to be a little bit more challenging um, is, is really, really healthy. And this is something that my wife and I talk a lot about with, uh, with the kids is how can we get them to uh, experience the satisfaction of achieving uh, putting a project together, a multi-month project, let's say for a kid, a three-month project where they got to build something out with their hands. It's a manual labor. I don't know what it is. Maybe they, they need to renovate um, something outside or whatever it is, but how can we get them to feel that satisfaction of not knowing how they're going to renovate this thing? They figure it out, they figure it out, and they get to the point where they want to get to, and they never thought that they could do it on their own. Yeah. I want them to feel that satisfaction because that satisfaction is way higher up here versus the simple pleasures satisfaction of going through the drive-through, flipping through social media. Yes, those are simple pleasures, but the satisfaction here is going to be way higher. And I think when you start feeling that satisfaction regularly, you start being, you start tapping yourself on the back and, you know, you got a little self-pride like, Hey, like I'm getting away from, you know, just being more sedentary. I'm doing more things. I'm accomplishing more things. Um, and I think that that, that stuff is incorporated in growth mindset. Um, and it is really healthy. And so, um, you know, I mentioned one of my, my guests earlier who, it blew my mind that she went out and did that. And that, that's a story that's come up a lot with my guests. And I've certainly experienced that in different ways. Um, during uh, when I was a PhD student, I was a PhD student at Clemson University. I work, I get up in the morning, 5 a.m. every day, and I go running in the forest by myself, mm -hmm. uh, go trail running for an hour. And then I would go sit in this basement uh, and analyze data behind the computer, a windowless basement. Wow. Uh, like wow. 8 a.m. to like 4.35 p.m. Just be behind my computer. I'd eat lunch at my computer. I would take walks. There's a lot of work to do. So I was like, I got to get this stuff done. Um, and, and that's the nature of being a PhD. So you have a lot of work. Yep. It's a huge, yep. huge pile of work. Um, and you got to tend to, you got to be disciplined and committed, but I would get home at night. And when I first began being a PhD student, I would just want to turn my mind up, put on a music, put on a, a movie, 
um, go watch a rom-com that's going to give me some easy giggles, stuff like that. But then I ended up getting post-work, a higher level of post-work satisfaction because I decided to take on a challenge that I never foresaw myself taking on. And so I don't have a big background in the arts or whatnot. And one day I was like, gosh, I don't have a big background in the arts. Like I've never taken on arts. Why is that? Well, I perceive that I'm not very artful, but mm. anyone can be artful. Art, art is Absolutely. subjective. Yep. And so I was like, okay, like, what do I want to take on that? I think that is scares me, really scares me. And so um, after work, I started taking on analyzing um, Renaissance sonnet poetry, like a lot of Shakespeare sonnets and stuff wow, like that. Wow. Okay. Um, and I was like, Okay, like I remember I remember middle school, high school, learning about iambic pentameter. I don't know what the heck that is. <laughs> um, so let's figure out what that is. And so like I started I love to that. give myself these mental challenges and I ended up having a lot more post-work satisfaction opposed to coming home from work and saying, I'm exhausted. I'm going to turn on the TV. I'm going to zone out and I'm going to go to bed. I'm going to repeat this cycle. I had, what I did was I booked it in my day at work. You know, I'm in that basement from 8 to 4.35 p.m., just doing my analysis. I go running in the morning, but then I bookend it with more challenges in the afternoon. And I, in the afternoon, I really wasn't interested in doing anything physical, but I wanted to challenge myself mentally. And so something that um, I've really tried to focus on in my life is not only physical adventures, but also mental adventures. Because um, I see a lot of benefit from mental adventures, especially when I pursue things that from the onset, onset, make me uncomfortable. And that's when I know I should do it. That is really cool. What a, what a cool uh, venture. And I think that that, um, you know, with what you talk about with getting outside and, and all bodies being outside, this idea of taking on something that is uncomfortable, this idea of taking on something that's going to take a longer period of time to accomplish, or it's, you know, it's the law of the law of the farm, law of the harvest. You got to reap, you, you know, you reap what you sow. And so if you're just sowing the seeds of comfort, then that's what you'll get. But if you sow the seeds of difficulty over time, you're going to reap something that is uh, far more rewarding. What a what a cool uh, uh, way to weave all of that in. That's beautiful. Well, Brian, just a few last questions as we start to uh, wrap up our time here. Uh, I want to get to know, I want our listeners to get to know you just a little bit better. Um, what is something that you've learned in the last three years that excites you the most? Um, you know, something that excites me that I have been learning a lot in the last three years is actually um, trying to become a, a, a business person and get into business. Mm. I've been in the public cool. sector doing civic stuff with being a professor. As I mentioned, as a high school biology and chemistry teacher for a while, I worked for the state of California for the Conservation Corps. I now work for the state of Kansas at Kansas State University. Um, but something that my wife and I talk a lot about is, you know, starting up little small businesses for fun and, you know, yeah. seeing where it takes us. And it, it's not something that we need to rely on. But what's enjoyable about starting those small businesses is the long-term consistency. And I, I believe a lot in long-term consistency. I believe that Hey, I can start a business. I may not know a lot about that world. And I mean, my business may never, maybe never might not prosper and that's fine. The journey is learning about it. Yeah. Um, and so applying long-term consistency and seeing the growth from there. And so right now, you know, 
podcast is one example of that, um, where I apply long-term consistency. When I, when I was writing the mission statement and the purpose of the podcast, I made a um, commitment to myself, a promise to myself to make sure I stay consistent with uh, releasing episodes for up to three years and then evaluate if I'm still having fun at that point. But I gave myself three years. Um, my wife and I, we started up a company called Backyard Backcountry. Um, that's something that we, we have, uh, her and I meet uh, virtually from work uh, uh, bi-weekly to oh, cool. address our business. And we, we very stay cool. very consistent and whatnot. We, we started that. We started a little uh, food company called Bond Bites that are little protein balls that we, we've actually gotten our kids involved with selling. Nice. Um, and we're starting now to take on <clears throat> um, camper renovations. We actually just bought our first camper. Um, over the weekend, we drove out to uh, Colorado, and uh, which is about seven and a half hour drive to the west for me. Um, we bought a camper out there, and it's a camper that um, needs some renovations, but it's structurally sound. It doesn't have any water damage. It doesn't have leaks and whatnot. Mm. And my wife and I, like, it's just the camper is not that expensive, so we're able to afford it, but we, we do not know how to renovate campers. Uh, so this is another example of taking on something uncomfortable. That's cool. but we're like, hey, let's 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 not just make it a one and done. Let's do this for multiple campers and learn how to renovate. Um, and so all those examples, what I was getting at was uh, really focusing on long-term consistency with stuff. That's cool. And, you know, making a promise to myself saying, hey, this right now gets me really excited. Like the idea of renovating a camper gets me really excited. But the excitement will decrease as time goes on. It's not going to be fresh. It's not going to be brand new. It's not going to be, you know, renovating my first camper, you know, you know, five campers down. Will I still have the same level of motivation? And that motivation might decline a little bit, but, you know, I promised myself to keep that long-term consistency. Um, and I try to structurally put that together. You know, like I was saying with Backyard Backcountry, my wife and I are constantly meeting bi-weekly to keep that consistency. But I think in life, when you make a commitment to something, not only make a commitment, but also make a commitment to long-term consistency. And a lot of times when there's long-term consistency, things tend to work out. It seems like. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. When I started the podcast, uh, you know, I had some ups and downs here and there just with trying to get, figure out the whole process. But I said, okay, I'm going to do this for five years and then uh, reevaluate. Is it something that I still enjoy doing? And uh, you know, three years in uh, at this point, uh, I find it even more enjoyable because finding interesting guests to have conversations with, uh, I think the process evolves, uh, the messaging evolves, everything changes and, and improves. And then, you know, a couple of years, I'll sit back and say, all right, what, what do we think? Are we still like this? Are we still doing it? Or do we need to move on to something else? But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on this, uh, on the long-term commitment. Brian, as you've evolved, what is something that you used to believe that you no longer do? Ooh, something that I used to believe that I no longer do. Um, I think that um, I used to overcome a lack of confidence, the same lacking confidence in a certain uh, space. Um, I would try to overcome that with not really knowing it, but reflecting back, I'm like, yeah, Brian, you did that. You're guilty. Mm -hmm. um, in spaces where I lack confidence, I'd actually bring a level of arrogance um, oh, to compensate, to compensate. And I can't even tell you how many times that's backfired. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, yeah. 
you know, like when you're, you're bringing that arrogance, you're no longer having that vulnerability, you're no longer having that compassion. And what you're doing is you're being your, your lack of confidence. You're, you're actually falling uh, a little bit guilty towards your, you're comparing yourself to other people. And so you're going to mm. act a little more arrogant to try to rise up um, fakely um, fab- in a fabricated way. And so um, being able to recognize that, you know, I'm not confident in this space and saying, Hey, whatever, like have yeah. fun with it. You know, yeah. like no one expects you to be confident in every space. Like there's, spaces where I'm very comfortable in it. I do that every day. I have experience. So I have the confidence with it because I know, you know, how that's going to play out. There's other spaces where I don't do that every day. It might come up, you know, it might be something I do every few months and I, I just don't have a lot of experience with it. Um, who cares? Have fun with it. That's okay. Um, and so I think that that's something that on my, my journey of life, which, you know, the journey is, it, it's, it's a beautiful journey for all of us. We all have a very unique journey all the experiences in my life, all the experiences in your life, very, very different. There's nobody's, no two people's experiences in life are the same. Everyone has yeah. a unique aggregate of experiences. And I think that um, being comfortable in those experiences where they brought you to now, and then also being able to recognize where things are rising in you because of lack of confidence or lack of this or that, and being okay with it, being okay with it because we're a human being. Um, we are all imperfect. It, when it comes down to it. absolutely, I think that might be one of the biggest truths of life. We're all imperfect beings, and being okay with that and saying, "Hey, you know what? Like, I, I I don't know how to practice gratitude so well. I really don't. And you know, like, that's something that's a journey for me right now. It's something that I'm focusing on. Something I'm excited to learn more about because I really think it could add a big benefit to my life. Um, but yeah, you know, like being able to recognize those emotions in yourself and um, a perfect example was uh, when I've been unconfident in certain situations, bringing arrogance was not the answer. Beautiful answer. Final question for you. So at Evolve, we believe that evolution takes time. We believe that there needs to be some sort of disruption. If you were to give our listeners one final bit of advice, if they were to leave this conversation and just do one thing, what is that one habit that you would like them to adopt? I would say that one habit is projecting your love to people. Mm. Um, really try to visualize a flow of love from your heart to someone else. And I know that sounds hippity dippity tree hugger stuff, but um, when you can project your love onto someone, so say like, and I think the perfect examples of this is when I am feeling like there's tension between me and someone else. And so it, when that tension is felt, it's easier to distance myself. But there's a tension because we're just not understanding each other. We're essentially having a miscommunication. And so if I can project my love to them and see my love in them, um, I'm going to be able to approach them and overcome them, overcome that situation, overcome that tension, but then learn from that person, learn from their perspective, learn from their differences. Differences are a pot of gold, especially when you can use those differences for leverage to become a better person and to further evolve. So I think that, you know, it might sound cliche, Hey, project your love onto someone, act with kindness. Yeah, it sounds cliche, but I think in this situation, it's cliche for a reason because it, it really can work if you let yourself do it. Yeah, beautiful answer. Well, Dr. Brian Peterson, thanks so much for joining us today. What a what a great conversation, beautiful wisdom. 
Uh, for our listeners, I would highly encourage you to go check out the All Bodies Outside podcast and listen to these great stories. Uh, I think you're going to resonate with a lot of them. As you know, we talk about it on the Evolve podcast on a regular basis that getting outside in nature is beneficial for all aspects of evolving your body, mind, soul, and tribe. And so the All Bodies Outside podcast is a great, great way to get information and inspiration to get you started. So, Brian, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, what is the best way for people to follow you? Uh, I know we've got the All Bodies Outside podcast, but where do you want to send them? Yeah, I would say, um, so I do have a website and it's allbodiesoutside.com. And on the website, um, I have a link for all the episodes and on all the platforms that it's offered on. So it's, I, I think my podcast is on about eight of the major platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon, Audible, YouTube, CastBox, iHeartRadio. If you go to my website, oldbodiesoutside.com, there is a click for episodes and then whatever your platform preference is, that's Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you can click on that and find all the episodes to listen to. That's great. And from one podcaster to the next, I would highly recommend our listeners uh, do me a favor and go listen to an episode, but also share a rating and review. You see, as independent podcasters, there's one form of currency, and it's ratings and reviews. That's our way of helping to get our message out there more often. It's our way of finding and attracting great guests so that we can continue to have uh, amazing conversations. And so if I can put that plug in there, please go listen to Brian's podcast, but also give him a rating review. That really helps uh, all independent podcasters to get out there. You know, it's difficult for independent podcasters podcasters versus some of these uh, bigger, highly promoted podcasts uh, where they can pump you know, thousands, if not millions of dollars behind the marketing and advertising, uh, small guys like us, we've got to, uh, we got to get the ratings and reviews. So, uh, for our listeners, please go listen and rate and review, uh, Brian's show. Well, Brian, again, thank you for coming onto the podcast. And uh, listeners, remember that it does take time and consistency to evolve, but first you have to disrupt. And now it's time for you to get out there and evolve. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Evolve Podcast. Follow us on your favorite podcast app. And if you haven't done so, please give us a rating. As an independent podcast, it really helps us get more reach. This podcast is part of our mission to help millions of people evolve into the best versions of themselves. Please check out our coaching services at evolve-cast.com or pick up some of our Evolve merch. Until next time, keep evolving.